Hello friends and strangers, welcome back to Wisdom Weavers, and actually, welcome back to me. It's been a handful of weeks since I aired an episode, and while I like the regularity of airing episodes, this whole project is so DIY, and I feel the most important thing is that it comes from my heart. So these past few weeks, I was between places, moving my nomadic self from one place and moving to an entirely different place, living in an entirely different way. It's taken me some time to adjust, but now that I feel like I've landed, I can give the love to this podcast that it deserves. So I've been really looking forward to recording this specific episode with this very special person for a very long time, and it finally lined up. His name is Dr. Nathan Riley, MD. He's an OBGYN. And for the Europeans that are listening, that's an obstetrician and gynecologist. I'm pretty sure that's what those, uh, all those letters stand for. And he's also in palliative care, which is end of life and hospice care. So birth and death. And if I remember correctly, he said something to me once, and I hope I'm not going to butcher it, which was how palliative care is kind of the only aspect of medicine that isn't trying to solve the problem but actually just increase the quality of this aspect of life, which is death. And ideally, birth should be that way too, not trying to solve a problem. I hope I did that justice. Well, Nathan is not only an amazing doctor, he is an amazing human being. He has inspired me so much, and I hope he inspires you too. It's so rare in such a rigid system such as the medical system, to have a doctor rising up and doing things differently, which is probably why he's forged and is forging a very different sort of path. And I really feel we need more like him, more doctors and also just more people like him. He also has his own podcast called Obigino Wino, where he chats OB stuff usually and drinks wine. But he also has some episodes called Microdose, which are amazing, and he branches out beyond OB stuff. I really recommend checking it out, and if you're interested in his path, there's a very specific episode called The Journey of an an Unorthodox Allopath. It's fascinating. I could recommend more episodes, but I'm just going to leave it there. So, without further ado, Nathan is a physician, a father, a husband, and a friend. He chose the path to allopathic medicine and came out the other end of 15 grueling years of training feeling unsatisfied. He has two specialties, birth and death, and his connection with people and mother nature supported him in exiting the conventional model in hopes of of providing an added layer of support to those who are unsatisfied with the conventional model of women's health care. His ultimate dream is to one day open a combined birth and death retreat center adjacent to a biodynamic farm where real healing can take place. You can find him at www.belovedholistics.com. I'll also link all this stuff in the show notes, his podcast, um, Beloved Holistics, which is this amazing project he's starting. And not to mention... If you can't tell by his bio, he is also a fan of Rudolf Steiner, which I'll probably have an entire episode on Rudolf Steiner at some point, who I really believe is 
one of the greatest thinkers of maybe ever. I don't know. (laughs) So anyways, without further ado, good morning or good evening wherever you are. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Well, I think um, now that I'm parenting and I'm reading this book called The Soul of Discipline by Kim John Payne, which is, it's really like a mature way of approaching the whole parenting thing, which is not like your kid is an untethered spirit, which there's something to that, but it's not just that. Like you're also the parent. You also need to make sure that they're not getting eaten or running in the street or like not putting Legos up their nose and, you know, or choking on something like and, the, and then like also your kids learn their manners from you and they learn how to sleep at night. Um, and so this book, and I'm, I'm a parent myself now to Penny, who's like 18 months. We've got another baby on the way. It's like, you know, it's my role to actually teach you how to interact with other people and how to actually have set parameters into, into delay gratification and all those things. And I think that in reading this, I think back and it's like, wow, I think my parents really set me up to be a pretty independent person. Mm. Um, And then, of course, you know, fast forward, you go through medical school and you go through residency and fellowship training and you're a full blown big boy doctor and you've got all these skills, right, to to sort of um, fit into the world. But those same skills of independence and, and like knowing where your boundaries are and knowing how to push certain things in different ways in order to find the right flow doesn't really fit into the system either. Right. So you're it's like a double-edged sword, right? So what the, the freedom and the independence that led me down, it led me into that path of, of mm. like a really high debt, high, um, you know, high training situation is also where I'm like looking back and it's like, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN. And now I'm realizing that being within a corporate medical model, especially in birth, mm. is so far away from where I actually found myself. Um mm-hmm. And so like, that's probably the short version, you know, um, we all have to pick what we want to do. And that thing that we want to do isn't really what we ultimately end up doing. Um, yeah. So if anything, yeah, well, no, oh, that, yeah. that path for me, I think into, into a contrarian in and of itself, you know, mm-hmm. but was it, were you like when you originally chose medicine or walked down the medicine path, like did you have a feeling that was what you were going to do for a while? And did you have a feeling you would get into OBGYN and palliative or that sort of found you along the way? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, most people that go to medical school, they, they like do all the, the, the things and then they, most people are like, Oh, I love that thing. I didn't really find that thing that I really loved. I actually found like the very last rotation I did in my clinical years in med school, which is like your third and fourth years. It was, it was third year OBGYN. I was like, this is pretty freaking dope. Dope. Like I, I like this. This is. There's a lot of mystery here. There's a lot of magic here, mm. and so I did want to pursue that. But then, sort of like I said, this is like the longer version of the of the story that mm. is me. When that unfolded in reality, like nobody realizes how little magic there really is 
as a healer in the contemporary medical model. Like there's no unknown. You can't ever admit failure. You can't ever admit that you don't know, but there's something really juicy in not knowing. Like that's why we do birth work. And now I'm, I'm supposed to imagine this. I'm supposed to adopt this illusion that I have all the answers. If I had all the answers, it wouldn't be interesting. I wouldn't have pursued it. See what I mean? So it's like this strange catch 22 you fall yourself into, or you find yourself falling into that where it's like, gosh, the things that you and I talk about, are not things that other OBGYNs are talking about, even if they're thinking it, because that's not what you do as an OBGYN. Mm-hmm. So you're not a birth keeper. You are a systematized, automa- automatic um, provider of some service that is paid for by some unknown payer mm-hmm. insurance model. And I get five minutes with you mm-hmm. to talk to you about that procedure that's going to happen, which is medical, which is birth, which is not a medical procedure at all. So so what drew me into medicine was this, like, the mystery and the magic of birth and death. And, like, we get to play this role as humans, like, between these two points, right? And we get to, like, t- solve the problems. Um, but you don't realize how much administrative, how much administrative stuff and documentation mm-hmm. and all that other stuff is what that really looks like. So when we ask 18-year-olds, do you want to be a doctor? And they say yes. They have no idea what it means to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And then you read about other cultural traditions who have healers who are like, this is the thing I do in this group. And everybody takes care of me because I'm taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And that's like a real, like, you know, that's like a, like you're providing your gifts as the shaman or as the the midwife or whoever. Mm-hmm. You're providing those gifts to the circle of people who are in community with you, mm-hmm. right? There's this communitas, there's this um, energetic flow of energy and information mm-hmm. that is completely devoid. Uh, we, we, the, our system is devoid of that notion. So, mm-hmm. So I think many of us, in, you know, including me, we think that we're going to be in like a Norman Rockwell painting someday. Mm-hmm. We're going to be taking care of the whole family and just really figuring out what is it that's 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 missing. That's that's um, as some of the anthroposophists say, what is it that's that's lacking that, if restored, would allow you to reharmonize with your surroundings? Like that's mm-hmm. that's medicine. What we're doing mm-hmm. in the contemporary medical model, especially in the United States, which you fortunately were able to escape from <laughs> right now. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Somebody I don't know how much you. better it is here, to be honest, but I think I'm just doing things in a weird way. Yeah, well, you're doing it in the right way, <laughs> which is to stop and to slow down and to like really connect with the ground beneath your feet and to, and to like clench your toes every time you give somebody advice because you need to like reground yourself before you utter the thing that you're about to say yeah and and there's something like important about that that we've we've completely we lack this connection we we lack connection to each other with the planet with 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 Gaia herself Mm -hmm. and um and so that makes for a very dull place to live your life for the next 40 years as a physician so um, I did mm-hmm. want to go into birth. Then I decided, man, I can't even talk to people about movement and diet and all that other stuff and happened to see the palliative care team at work, not only on my father who died from multiple myeloma in med school, but I also saw them at work on, you know, ICU patients when I was in residency. And, you know, you see them walk into a very, very hot space and in, in, in like five seconds, in five seconds, generate enough trust with the family to tell them that their son's passing away. He's in multi-organ mm-hmm. failure. And for them to come out and actually thank that doctor for doing that. Like there's yeah. some powerful Whoa. medicine in that. In that yeah. so. Was it your father's death that led you to um, palliative care? Did that come after OB? Yeah. Like, so the way that, that yeah, the way that works is you, you, you work your, your butt off through college 
and then you work your ass off through med school mm-hmm. and then you you know you you avoid falling into absolute despair in med school and then you feel like you did it and you get your white coat and you're a doctor after that and then you have to pick a specialty where you work 100 plus hours a week doing the the thing the special thing and that's the the OBGYN part which is mostly surgery 70% surgery 30% um the other stuff and then um after that you can choose to subspecialize well i chose to subspecialize about halfway through residency in hospice and palliative medicine and it set me on a, on a very very hard path because people see hospice as giving up and it's mm-hmm. not it's actually it's actually a it's a um it when hospice becomes involved in your life it's because it's important that you become initiated into the important conversation around mortality mm-hmm. because you're going to die felicia i'm going to die we're all going to die mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be painful it doesn't have to be horrible it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be super unknown and there's certain ways to 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 sort of teeter into that space we you know altered states of consciousness there's there's ways to explore what that might be life like but most people don't do that and when you get to the very end hospice getting involved you're going to have a doctor that speaks to you about just the possibilities right of what's going to happen because you don't get a vote as to if it's going to happen you get a vote as to how it happens from now until then and that's what right. hospice medicine does so so when I saw the um, the palliative care team at work, like I said, they were having these hard conversations and somehow people were coming out of those conversations, the patients and their family, feeling grateful and actually feeling inspired and alive yeah. for the first time in a long time, which is sounds very similar to the birth conversation. When right. we don't over-medicalize it, when we actually normalize this thing, this can be invigorating. This can be exciting and powerful and sexy. Like there can be something fun to talk about here. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be the like such a binary sort of decision-making process, right? So mm-hmm. I have a very rich career ahead of me. <laughs> and, but you're, when you went into that subspecialty, were they, I don't know if it's teaching or mentoring you or however you want to say it, were they ha- like talking about death in this way that you are? Or was it still very like medical? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, it's, Medic- it's, Certainly more medical than the way I talk about it, but you have to consider yeah. like it's baby steps. When I left med school, I walked out, my wife and I joked, I walked out of there and I was just like, well, that was weird. Because <laughs> it, it's like, it's so inhumane. Medicine is like, <laughs> it's like well, I don't know what to take from that, but I guess I'm going to go and start attending birth with this medical knowledge, considering that this is, there's nothing about this that is medical, right? And, yeah. and for anybody who's listening, who's in the birth world, like, yes, there are things that the medical community can help with, but birth is not a medical process that we all endure. Right. It's not like a, a, an ap- appendectomy or something, right? Like this is much more important, but mm-hmm. in the way that birth that you and I talk about birth having been medicalized, you're right, death has also been medicalized. So, you know, the conversation around where you want to die is not something many people have to think about until the moment when somebody asks them the the question. So nowadays, it's like, how much medicine do you want to be? How sleepy do you want to be? Are you okay with some pain, but to be asleep or or to not be asleep and and tolerate a little pain or or whatever, you know? and I still think we're kind of missing the point, which is why I'm I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this as well. We're we're totally we're missing the 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 part of the story that we're actually like we're in this like we're a part of an ecosystem, and this is a part of what life looks like. Mm-hmm. And I feel um, that this resistance to death, this absolute 
shut it away. Don't talk about it. Or like, oh, I don't, I don't want to look at it. Feeling right. around death as a society is the problem with all of medicine, all of big right. pharma running the show, everything we do to like our food, to everything. Yeah. I mean, it, and I think it boils down to what you said so, so beautifully. You've said this to me before, but like this disconnection from nature is a disconnection from our actual, like from who we are. We mm-hmm. actually, we feel like we have somehow evolved beyond like the, the, the food chain or something, right? We silo ourselves off in four walls. We close ourselves off to the elements. We keep our ambient temperature at 75 degrees at all times, right? We don't walk because it makes us tired. We don't go outside because it makes us dirty. And we sterilize everything because heaven forbid we're in, we're in, we're in, we're communing with Gaia through the microbiome, through the trees, the butterflies, the flowers, whatever. And, and, and this is, this is, isn't ever more present than when a person dies because when you die, what do we do? We, we put you in a very strong wooden box. We, we put that box into a, it's a lead lined box just to, just for good measure. We put that into a concrete tomb and we bury it under the ground because mm. heaven forbid you actually get re assumed by mother nature herself in order for your energy in this physical vessel, which we knew was temporary. Like that's part of the deal when you came here. We knew it was temporary and you've amassed all this wealth that you're going to give away through some sort of phantom, phantom commuting system and all that matters is that you're buried with the jewelry or the whatever, right? Because th- this notion that we're going to be eaten by worms and everything is just too, it's like macabre. It's just too hard for us to wrap our heads around but it's because like you said we don't get exposed to it we don't see people dying we don't see our we don't see anybody dying in fact when a person dies we wrap them up in a body bag and get them to the to the mortician as quickly as possible so that we can pretend that they're still here Mm -hmm. and i mean what if we just invested more of our creative juices instead of avoiding death what if we actually invested our creative juices on how to celebrate life yeah and, and we don't do that. We don't do that in birth. We don't do it in death. And it's the same problem flipped on its head. And certainly people now, I mean, much of the world is super traumatized right now, whether they know it or not. And they're certainly not mm-hmm. not celebrating life in any way um, or nature for that matter. Well, right. Like if, if you could live an extra hundred years, but you have to wear a mask every time you step on an airplane or you can't hug your mom or you can't have sex with a beautiful stranger that you energetically are are meeting again. Your souls are, you know, reuniting after however many iterations that you haven't, you've missed each other in the night, you know? Yeah. If you could never do that, would you want to live another hundred years? Like at what cost are we willing to compromise quality of life to merely prolong the dying process, right? Because if you're not living, (laughs) there's this little TikTok that Stephanie showed me the other day. My wife, she had, it was like, an alien life form asking like, okay, so, so there is, there are things that you like to do in life, but you're like too busy doing work to do those things. Right. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to work. You have to work. Well, but what if you work less? Well, if you work less, you're not going to be valuable to society. Well, okay. Well then, okay. So what if I want to do the things that I love and like just work a little bit? Oh, you can't do that because you have to be working to be in the system. And they're like, okay, so you're going to work more in order to stay alive, to have more time to not do the things that you love. 
And they're like, yes, that's a, that's that's what Earth School is like. And I retire when I'm 72 and then I go travel. <laughs> right, right. And then I'll travel. Don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> when I've got blood clots in my legs and lungs, that's when I'll get on an airplane. Oh my god! It's just a little bit insane. It's it's like it's a bit of a, a pathology in and of itself. The way that the way we that we perceive of what life is supposed to be, and that's not to say that there's a right way to live. Mm-hmm. What what I think we all really should consider is at what cost are we treating the human condition and mm-hmm. compromising the sort of beauty of what it just means to be here. You know, like people just forget yeah. just how fucking cool it is to be a human. Um, mm-hmm. And instead, we're willing to just lock ourselves away and not see our friends. And we're not, of course, we're talking about 2020. Like there's no, there's no yeah. secret here. So I hope yeah. that that doesn't make something hard Honestly, for your podcast. 2020. It's not, it's ongoing. Right. That's true. And, and it didn't start in 2020. Like we've been on this path for the past several hundred years, if not thousands of years. Um, yeah. 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 So it it's makes it hard to talk about death. It's of like the judgment day. It's like, what, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose organic evolution? Or are you going to choose a synthetic reality? That that's to mm-hmm. me, I don't even yeah, mean that, that in like a woo woo way, but that's, that's the trumpet call. That's mm-hmm. what it feels like to me. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like these two choices are living side by side right now. And I think everything that we do in our work, you, as you know, <clears throat> as a doctor and me as a birth worker, whatever I'm doing, honestly, it's like I just want to I just want to offer the path of some sort of organic evolution and reality. And in order to do that, you have to honor death. Or just like accept it. You don't even <laughs> you just don't have to be it. best friends with it. Just to accept that it's in the room. <laughs> it's morbid to think about, but like don't reject it. Don't pretend like it's not sitting there with a, a shroud that you put on, like a little tali just hanging over its face. That's a, yeah. that's a, a Jewish prayer scarf I learned recently. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, tali. Mm-hmm. Tali, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that at one of the weddings? Was that? Was that at one of the weddings? That no, you no, it was one of my, actually one of my hospice patients. She was, she was like this Southern Baptist lady that was calling out for her tali. And they were like, what's a tali? And I was like, let me go Google it. I don't know. And sh- sure enough, she had like a Jewish prayer scarf at home and they, she wanted her <laughs> son to bring it. Amazing. They didn't find it. I don't think they knew what it looked like, but we found her something else. So, <laughs> nice. um, well, How do you yeah. like, okay, two questions what's been what's been your biggest aha moment in terms of like how you work within the frame of like the medical profession and being like okay maybe this frame doesn't work for me was there like a big aha moment either recently or a long time ago yeah I, I think that the unwillingness of people to admit that they don't know the answer was a big aha because if you're not willing to actually compromise and to say listen I don't know mm-hmm. then that then you don't ever even have the opportunity to go out and find an answer, right? Mm-hmm. So not that I have any answers. In fact, this mentality of I don't know and being willing to accept that I did it wrong, that's actually what gets you canned as a physician, right? Mm-hmm. Because even as a surgeon, especially as a surgeon, right, you have to walk around claiming that you're the best surgeon in, on the fucking planet. Because if you don't, then it would be unethical for you to be the one wielding the knife. So if there's another mm-hmm. surgeon in the room and you say, I'm not the best one, but I'll do it anyways, like 
that doesn't sound good, right? So you have to, no. that's how surgeons become surgeons. They're like, I'm the best fucking surgeon out there. And so yeah. I'm slicing dice, you know, and like, you might not be, you might not be like, it's hard to be the best of anything. There's only one fastest runner in the world. So, so, you know, so it's this, um, this notion that like people are, Oh, like my colleagues are actually not willing to admit when they don't have the answer. It made me distrust everybody. Did you like, call them out on it? Well, I mean, that's why I'm, <laughs> why, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of like, it, it, and it, and it's like, it comes as a calling out, not because I'm like, you don't know. It's, it's, they ask me a question. I'm like, Hmm, I don't know. And they, and then you, they get the look and you're like, are you telling me you have all the answers? Like, is that what you learned? Everything you need to know you're 40 years old and you learned everything there is to know about everything, including religion, including politics. Like you're this walking around encyclopedia Britannica of the capital T truth. That is like immediately smells of bullshit. It, and, and part <laughs> Part of the problem, part of like, I think this reductionist view of the human body is that like mm. Rene Descartes fucked us guys. He said that there's a mind and there's a body and inside the body is these multiple components. And if we take those components off and we polish them up and we get all the little gears going and pop them back in, you're going to drive away with your brand new ride. We mm -hmm. know that that doesn't work with a carrot, let alone a higher mm -hmm. level consciousness human. Like you right. don't take the beta carotene and the vitamin A and all that shit in the green pigment or not green, well, green in this, in the, in the leaves and then the orange pigment yeah. and you take it apart and you look at them and then you put them back together and you get a carrot. <laughs> when has that ever worked? So there's some like missing prana. There's, you know, the chi, whatever, like East, the yeah. Eastern philosophers who have been doing this for longer, they knew that there was something else there. And while this Cartesian idea that, Hey, if you just take these parts, things apart, polish them off and put them back together, while it does work, if you have like, you know, <laughs> if a dinosaur rips off your arm, right? Like pretty good to have somebody there that can get the bleeding under control and maybe make your life livable through some physical therapy. But if we're mm -hmm. talking about something as important as like, like a vaccine, that's not something you can take away and to yeah. think of, of or, or like antibiotics are an even better example. If you're, if you're, if you're if you're so invested in the Cartesian model of how these little individual components work, then it would actually make sense that by giving antibiotics and sterilizing the car, that, that the car is going to work better. But we know that that doesn't work. Yet people are still grappling with the reality of how important not just our microbiome, but the health of every one of the other things you find out in the dirt is in order for us to continue to harmonize with our surroundings. Mm -hmm. And um, the, I guess so. I, I guess the reason that I went under the Cartesian route is that most of the people that I can that that are confronted with the reality that they don't know the answer are too married to this model of the human being as just the sum of parts. And we know that that's not the case. We know that it's not the mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. But people mm -hmm. are so they they're so challenged by not being able to admit that it's fun. And it makes this interesting if we don't have the answers, even if it means that we maybe can't offer something to the patient, because the thing that you have to offer that Cartesian model is, is a loser. Like that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And we're traumatizing people and, and our collective consciousness. It's, it's running wild now, rampant through our, our consciousness as a, a bit of a parasite. I mean, talk about a virus, like that is dangerous thinking. If you think it's just a matter of the sum of parts. Right. So and I, it's random if you get it and it's random how it affects you. 
And it's, right. it's, it's all random. Disease is random. Your cancer is random. It's all random. It has nothing to do with your ancestors. It has nothing to do with your right. emotions. It has nothing to do with anything. It's right. random. You got it. Bam. Bad luck. You know? Right. right. Oh, too and bad. Is, yep. Right. And so now yeah. we have picked people there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Continue. I, I was just going to piggyback on that and say, you know, now that we were looking at this, this stuff that's been happening in 2020, it's like people that are the, that suddenly are the picture of health wearing masks and like they're 150 pounds overweight. They've dealt with, you know, horrible abdominal pain and bloody stools and their legs are all swollen and they barely can stand up from the ground, you know, and now they're telling me that I'm a jerk for not wearing a mask. And it's like, you've married yourself to this idea. And if you could just yeah. kick that idea, you would see how nefarious and how kind of like just ridiculous this thing is, you know? And again, yeah. we're not talking just about the COVID stuff. We're talking yeah. about the entire medical model and pathologization yeah. of birth and death. I mean, um, it's a reflection. It's a, it's a symptom. Like it's, it's right. a consequence of this, this, right. this marriage, this inappropriate marriage. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's almost like the, the ultimate, the ultimate kind of, I don't even mean in a conspiracy theory deliberate way, but like the a COVID card being played out in the world, whether it's random or deliberate or whatever, it could only be played on a society that's so, so, so detached mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from everything that we're talking about, from nature. Yeah. And, and I, I think that I also want to like play the other side of this where being a physician, I've come to, to this, these conclusions over many years. And it's a bit of my contrarian attitude that has led me there where mm. if something doesn't smell right. I want to investigate, you know? Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, we're also stuck in this strange, like, like take a healthcare professional who's a doctor at a major medical institution. They're so far in debt and they've become so mm. invested in the structure because that structure is going to deliver them from the cycle of debt, right? It has that promise. It doesn't work. Yeah doesn't work right. if you talk to older physicians who are 50 and they're still paying off their medical school loans okay. it doesn't work mm -hmm. but then they've also invested in this idea that like i need to drive the nice car and i need to have the big house and like i deserve this i've worked way too hard to yeah. not be able to reap the benefits and your father's a physician i mean you've probably mm -hmm. seen this and play my, out uncles, uncles, my grandfather yeah. yeah so so i also want to i i also have a little bit of empathy or, or sympathy for these physicians who probably do see things a little differently, but there's nowhere for them to go because as soon as you pop your head above the ground, just like I, I've had happen with birth and you're like, Hey, home birth sounds like a really good alternative for most of our low risk patients, guys. What do you think? Suddenly it's like, that's so confronting to the model that they've had to invest in because it offers that, that, um, deliverance, right. From, from the suffering and the trauma of medical training, um, that they just, they can't. Cognitive dissonance has, has ingrained them in this neurological loop. And I feel for them because I know that this is not how they want it to go. And I like, my brothers and sisters, there is a better way out. And we all yeah. need to like actually kind of band together and realize like we are the ones that can actually kind of encourage this forward. We can, and then invest in other people who have these ideas. It doesn't need to, we don't need to have the answers. Right. Absolutely. Have you found others like you in the, or have you been walking around the black sheep for a while? <laughs> I've been walking around feeling like I don't have pants on or something. People looking at me funny, <laughs> looking at me through the shutters and they're, they're like, 
thumbs up through the shutters. I don't know why they're thumbsing me up because I'm not wearing pants, but they're probably like, I, I, I'd love to not wear pants. Um, <laughs> um, and there, there are some, but you know, people are like, they're stuck. They're stuck in a system and they've got like their bills to pay and they've got their mortgages to pay. And it's like, man, if I have a friend who just told me, you know, if the injection becomes mandatory for his employer, that he has to decide, do I do the thing that I know is right? Or do I stay here? Because he's got alimony and he's got child support and it's a bit of a long story, but um, mm-hmm. he's like, what am I going to do? Like, and then if he doesn't make the right decision, I'm using air quotes, but if he doesn't make the right decision. Then he has to sit with not having been able to make that right decision because he's like literally handcuffed to making sure there's an income or he ends up in jail. In, in which case maybe more of us need to be going to jail, sort of like the protest against <laughs> Vietnam or something, you know? Yeah, I don't know. yeah I don't know. totally. Just stop yeah. paying your, your debt. <laughs> yeah I have um, I have met some there's just not many yeah so how then how do you see your future or I guess you know what from what I know this vision is um coming to manifest but how do you see what what's the what's the other option that you're sort of envisioning as like a medical professional that's outside of this frame that was given to you or pushed on you or built in mm-hmm Mm-hmm. what does that look like what is it or even if you don't know what it looks like what does it feel like i think so just to to sort of like provide a little context um when you finish your residency training you now have a specialty and then you have to take a board examination so you're licensed i can practice full board medicine but now i'm at the point where i have to decide do i want to take my oral boards they offered like this short abbreviated written version for the last year i didn't do well in that one <laughs> just <laughs> They were oddball multiple choice questions where all five answers looked fine. And they were like, what's the third best, third best option? It's like, and plus, and I, and I practice so differently that a multiple choice test doesn't allow me to explain why I would do this differently or why I actually think maybe ACOG's guidelines are a little bit too rigid in other areas, but Mm -hmm. I digress. They're going to have, I'm going to do the oral boards, but the oral boards is when you sit in front of a panel of people and they pepper you with questions for four to six hours and see if you know what you're doing. And if you, if you, if you give a bit of a vague answer, they'll like pry into that and just see like, what would you do in this case? What about this case? What if we turned the situation around and like, they try to stress you out. Well, in order to pass that exam, I have to like really reframe my practice and I have to really like hone in on how do they want me to answer the question in order for Mm -hmm. me to have permission to call myself one of their cool, the cool kids. Mm -hmm. And so to summarize my answer like, like to use this, this is an allegory to, to demonstrate for you how challenging it is to actually be different. If I don't do that process, I can proudly stand on my own two feet and say, this is how I practice. It is not like an American board of OBGYN's physician. And then people can very easily just pick me off with a pistol from close mm-hmm. range. Like he's not a board certified doc. But to be board certified means I am like them. But if I'm not like them, then I have no credibility. So like when there is a monopoly over the experience of a medical provider or how a person practices, and there's a lot of money behind that, by the way, um, which Mm -hmm. is how midwives ended up where they are in our country, Mm -hmm. you end up in a position where it's like, yeah, but she's only a midwife. It's like, well, she's only a midwife and she's delivered 500 or she's attended 500 births at home. That's way more than you, you know, Mm -hmm. dumb dumb over here. And and so the person who's who's holding that pistol isn't other physicians. It's actually our public. 
the public sees you if you're triple board certified as actually being better than the rest. But what all that that means is that you've shown that you're better than everybody else at following the rules. So now that I'm at this decision point, right, I'm at the mm -hmm. fork in the road. Part of me is like, if I can pass the oral boards, then I can still turn around and be like, I'm still going to do things my way. Uh -huh. And I have the credibility, mm -hmm. but there's, but there's, there's opportunity loss there. You know, like once you're board certified, is somebody going to say, Hey, aren't you a fellow of ACOG? Isn't this actually the way that you're supposed to be practicing? If you're a fellow of ACOG, like, does that mm -hmm. stand up in court differently than I decided not to get board certified because I actually have, I think I have a superior way of attending birth. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but the future for me is, is really going to be trying to straddle those two worlds. Um, I, I've already, I'm already well invested in the process of at least two court cases against midwives um, who are being, who are jailed inappropriately for attending birth, quote, without a license um, mm -hmm. for people who, you know, it was because they were licensed in one state and two miles across, you know, down right. the road, they're in another state. So, you know, the state of, that's the state of New York. It doesn't matter. They're always in trouble with midwives. So the state of New York has, has jailed a woman and has charged her with 95 felony accounts. What's her name? Just I so we can... I, I don't think I should provide oh, it. Okay. I don't think it's appropriate. I didn't know if there was like support behind her or something. There, there is, um, yeah, I, it's probably not, I shouldn't take the liberty to just oh, yeah, guess. No, that's cool. But it's it's a uh, probably something that could be searched in the news. And when you hear this story, you're like, "Are you fucking kidding me? This is this poor woman is going to be imprisoned for attending births." And what you know what generally happens in that situation for anybody who doesn't know is that there's a bad outcome because bad outcomes are a part of being alive and part of giving birth. Um, it wasn't this midwife who was responsible. It was that the the patient was told, "I think it might be reasonable to transfer. I think I would recommend transferring." I'm not so confident in the heart tones. They're going up, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They go to the, the hospital. The baby's born is doing fine. And then 24 hours later, the they give some sort of medicine and the baby crunks. You know, it's it's that type of story. Oh. So who knows what happened? Yeah. But the, somebody at the hospital files an anonymous police complaint against this, this dirty midwife who brought in this patient and shame on the midwife. Let's get some justice. That's not justice. That's just punishment. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't even the family that pressed the charges, right? So, right. I mean- and it usually isn't. That's it usually what I isn't. That's exactly right. So even as a, as a physician, especially, I have a little more clout. But man, I can't go up against a hospital system. I can't go up against this the state of New York, you know, um, as an individual. So, um, so if I were to defend a midwife as an expert witness, which I'll do anyways, but if I'm a fellow of ACOG, then they don't have that that ammunition right which is so easily accessible on the other hand there is some something to say for like my friend who is tossing up this idea about getting the, the injection something to say about just being like fuck it like this is who i am this is what i'm doing and like maybe we need more people to not be getting fake vaccine records maybe we need people to actually say it fuck it i'm not doing that yeah and here's why yeah, yeah. so I, i'm kind of facing that same decision making process you know yeah yeah interesting hmm. yeah um rudolph steiner fan big fan. fan big fan i think he's the greatest thinker and i love that like i think you started talking about him to me just as i was getting into him mm -hmm. and something that's been interesting for me being over here in europe is that loads of the midwives i've met and also just birth keepers 
are from Germany or Holland, and there was loads of Steiner influence there. And when I go back to the States and just introducing any Steiner idea into medicine, they're like, what? Yeah. And and like the homeopathy, everything. So it's really interesting being in this place that's like, actually like Europe, you know, it's westernized, it's Europe, but they have this like different, there seems to be a different, um, it seems to be broader here. I think so too. I mean, even breach is far more, you know, attending a a vaginal breach birth would not be like, would not be that unusual in Germany. It's, it's less common than it used to be just like it is everywhere. But it's one of those Mm -hmm. little bastions of hope where there's still people that are like, Oh yeah, breach baby. That's way better than a C-section. Why wouldn't we do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Steiner, Steiner's interesting for, for anybody that doesn't know he's, he was born probably in the late 19th century died somewhere in the early to the mid 19th or 20th century. And um, I'm pretty sure he was channeling a lot of stuff. He was accessing stuff from elsewhere and synthesizing some incredibly insightful. um, I don't know. What would you call it? It's he gave lectures that were so insightful about the human experience and where we came from, where we're going. Think of. I know. (laughs) It was almost like he had a guidebook of like, how to be human on earth. And actually I find his material. It's so interesting. I only got into it like the past year and a half. It's so relevant to now. Right. It is. It's it is. So it's like relevant it's to now. almost a hundred years later. And it's yeah. Like, damn. So then I guess how, how do you influence like your, guess that how, or how does this all come into your, like your. Um... Yeah. So, so that's the thing people don't realize. People think, Oh, he's just like a spiritualist. Um, so yeah, what, what people don't know is that, you know, I think people think of Steiner and they think he was, well, they think a lot of things. People think he's, he's anti-Semitic. I mean, they think he's all kinds of things, but if you take any one line of what he said out of context of the previous 90 pages, nothing makes sense. So it's sort of like quoting Einstein. It doesn't make sense to quote Einstein. Like who knows what Einstein was thinking? The guy was brilliant, you know, but, um, but Steiner, apart from being what he would call a spiritual scientist, right? Anthroposophy was sort of the branch of theosophy that he kind of he kind of went in his own current. And it's really the the wisdom of being human. And there's some something very deep there, but just like what you and I talk about all the time, it's not just like the woo-woo new age mm-hmm. baloney that we've been hearing for several, you know, centuries, um, or not even centuries, I'd say decades really, this new age movement. It's more like it's more back to like the the fundamentals of what it means to be alive, right? Mm-hmm. And and it goes into things we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation. Like if you're not connected to not only the soil, but also the lunar cycles, mm-hmm. then you're completely disconnected from who you are because you are a being of light and each of your little subatomic particles is vibrating in exactly the right frequency for this manifestation, this simulation to have, to have occurred so that your soul can experience something in the earth school and you can get all the wisdom and knowledge to take it back to the collective light beings of, of, of above, mm-hmm. right? And it sounds super religious. It sounds like all these things and it's none of those, it's all of those things and none of those things. Yeah. Um, so like biodynamic farming came out of, was like, a, an, like advented by this yeah. guy. And then he also, which is not organic food. It's not regenerative food. It's again, it's like 
all of those things, but none of those things, because it adds in all these other elements of preparations and and treating the soil and the elemental beings, which provide sustenance to the roots and provide a safe place for the seeds to grow. I mean, it's really magical thinking. I love it so much. Um, and he also he also developed the Waldorf Education Program, mm-hmm. which is really deep into the psychology of child development. I mean, I've really, really enjoyed learning about it. So we're going to be having Penny in Waldorf, and we're mm-hmm. going to move adjacent to a biodynamic farm and try to. I'm going to try to provide my practice in the right way, which is definitely not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, I feel like. Um... The more and more I've gotten in touch with, I'm not by any means an expert farmer. In fact, I had absolutely no experience. Am I? But the more and more I've gotten in touch with it and just literally living in nature and looking out at nature, I thought, oh my God, this is literally the answer to everything. The way that this is all working is mirroring every single thing. It could mirror the medical system. It could mirror literally everything. And talking about this, this, um, these two paths, I think, which is sort of, do do you want to organically evolve or do you want to merge more synthetically as a human? Mm-hmm. And I was looking out in mm-hmm. nature and I was looking at these, you know, you have chamomile g- growing around. And then there's these like, I don't even know what they're called, like stinkweed. It's like the fake chamomile plants. And I thought, wow, every plant, every awesome plant I love has like a phony. and i was thinking why 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 and then it was like to test your instincts Mm. to test your instincts and to discern Mm -hmm. discern almost vibrationally don't take everything this is my Mm -hmm. this is my own conclusion don't take everything at like surface level looking at everything in the material because materially this looks like a chamomile plant and if I look that, at everything that way, then I'm never going to actually understand nature. I really love that. That's very beautiful. Yeah. And, and that I, is a, a big part of Steiner's teaching is discernment, the power of discernment. That's what okay. we're really lacking in this world. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Let's see. Okay. Uh, mm. What's your wisdom if you're to leave everyone with just like a little bit of wisdom, your own wisdom to leave the world, what would it be? One bit. I'm sort of, I think think I'm stealing from Charles Eisenstein here a little bit, but Charles Eisenstein is somebody that everybody needs to know about and to read his books. He's, um, well, he's a philosopher, I would say, but writer, speaker, etc. And the thing that the reason I was drawn to him is that early in my life, I started, I read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Mm-hmm. And I realized that like for us to destroy nature is to destroy ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And for this, this idea that we're going to leave the planet and go find some exoplanet that's going to sustain us is complete. It's a mockery of who we are um, because the beauty of our planet, it's not only just here for us. It's like, that is us. Like we are a part of this. So I think the, I think the message that I would love for everybody to know is that we're like right now in a, there's a great opportunity for us to to sort of change the script a little bit as to what human beings are doing and where we're all going. And so when people are like, we just want to go think, go back to, you know, the, the way things were or whatever, status quo Joe, Joe Biden, you know, or whatever, 
we have to ask ourselves, like, what are we going back to? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not just going back to some sort of Native American story. We're, we need to go back further. We even need, we need to go back to what actually, um, what was the stimulus for the stories that we used to tell about who we are and, and where, we're, where we came from? It can't just be that we emerged, we worked our ass off, and then we died, and we kept our treasures for ourselves. Like, like we're right now in a really pivotal, pivotal point, I think, in human history where we have the opportunity to actually take a step back and say, what, what do we really want to leave behind? Like, who do we want to be? And I think if we can all, if we can all tap into this, the internal space that when we're completely alone and we're sitting in the woods, when you realize just how... Um, how perfect this place is and how, you know, if we could just reconnect with not, it's so, it sounds so cliche, but connect with nature, like go put your hand on a tree and just remember that the earth beneath you is a part of you. Like this is, we are all one. If we can just change that script a little bit, things are going to get so much easier for us. Mm. And it even comes down to like, let's not worry about CO2 emissions. Let's actually completely Let's fabricate a new story about what human beings are here for. And it's not to exploit Gaia. Mm-hmm. You were not put here to use up and take up as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. You were put here to love and to connect with others and and to, to commune with nature in a very e- sort of egalitarian way. And that's the only way that we're going to evolve consciously or otherwise. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wish people could just sit with that and to really think like you can make the your own story we can make our own story now and what do we want that story to look like that's where we're at mm. um i think people need to really really sit with that yeah because now's the time now's really the time now's the time man wow that was so beautiful thank you so much thanks for having me Aww. And you're, I also want to sing your praises a little bit. I think that if more people could do it, Felicia Sokol does <laughs> on a daily basis, which is to, to really like be comfortable sitting in silence and being with yourself and really allowing, um, allowing the message to come to you. I, I feel like, mm. I feel like you're doing that work. And so I thank you. I try my best and also I'm failing it sometimes, but but I'm definitely trying. That's really sweet. Well, I love you for that. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful that we've gotten to be friends. Me too. You've taught me a lot. And ugh, vice versa. Wow. Well.